Today on Basic, Doug and I sit down with Dana White of the UFC. There was a brand new television network called Spike, which was being labeled as the network for men. We start pitching this thing to Spike TV, and uh, they don't love it. So we go back to Spike TV and we tell them we'll pay for it because the show was going to cost $10 million. They like that idea a lot better. It starts to air, and the thing is a rocket ship. Take four corners anywhere in the world, right? On one corner, they're playing basketball. Stick ball on the other corner. Playing soccer on the other corner. A fight breaks out on the fourth corner. Where does everybody go? Everybody runs over to watch the fight. Even the people playing other sports will stop playing to go watch the fight, right? I don't care what color you are, what country you come from, what language you speak. We're all human beings, and fighting's in our DNA. We get it, and we like it. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Basic, the official podcast of the unofficial history of basic cable television. I'm Doug Herzog, a former TV executive, and I am definitely a lover, not a fighter. And I'm Jen Cheney, TV critic for Vulture and New York Magazine, and I fight only for my right to party. <laughs> Today, our guest is the sometimes controversial genius behind the rise of the UFC and mixed martial arts, Dana White. So yeah, Jen, I met Dana about 15 years ago. We brought the UFC to Spike TV where I was. Mixed martial arts at that point had a terrible reputation. But when Dana's partners took over the UFC in the early 2000s, they had a plan to revitalize it and legitimize it, which they did to great success. The UFC is now a global multi-billion dollar enterprise that stands toe-to-toe with all the other major sports on ESPN. But it's not for everybody, is it? It is not for everybody. If by everybody, you mean me. Um, As you know, Doug, (laughs) it's not necessarily my cup of tea, but it has gone mainstream in a really huge way. And I look forward to having this conversation. Yeah, Dana's a great guest. And of course, basic cable played a huge role in growing UFC. So let's listen in to the always provocative Dana White as Jen and I go a couple rounds with him and make sure to hang around afterwards. Jen and I will have our post-bout report. Dana, thanks so much for being here today. You know, we start off all our shows by asking our guests, do you remember when you first got cable television? Yeah, I, th- I want to say I was in either eighth or ninth grade when we first got cable. I-, I would get up every morning before school and actually watch MTV. There you go. That's how strong MTV was at that time. And I think about MTV back when I was growing up, MTV told you what all the new music was that was coming out, what's cool, what's not, what's cool to wear. MTV was pretty powerful back in my day. Absolutely. So... Before you got involved with mixed martial arts, I believe you were involved with boxing. Is that right? Right, right. So I've been in the boxing game since I was 19 years old. And then I owned a bunch of gyms and taught people how to fight, worked with fighters, you know, did all that type of stuff. So how did the boxing then lead into MMA? So what happened was Frank Fertitta and I were out one night at the Hard Rock here in Vegas. And we saw this guy who fought in the UFC. His name is John Lewis. And he had the first ever jujitsu school in Las Vegas. So me and Frank were talking about, we always wanted to, you know, learn the ground game. And I said, well, I know the guy. So we went over and started talking to him and we set up a lesson for Monday morning and Lorenzo joined us. We started taking jujitsu and that was it, man. We we became addicted to it. And through that, we started to learn a lot about the sport. We started to meet a lot of the fighters through John Lewis. I started managing some of the guys and through managing, I found out from the old owner that the company was in trouble and basically going out of business. And I called the Fertitta brothers. They were in Miami at the time. And I said, hey, the UFC is in trouble. And I think we can buy it. And I think we should buy it. A couple of days later, we started talking. And a couple months later, we owned it. Wow. 
when you bought it, you, I've read this, you, you didn't really get much, right? Because that operation had been around a while, was pretty controversial, was kind of like a bottom of the barrel, right, type operation. And you guys basically bought a ring in the UFC title, right? In like 15 contracts that they had. Yeah, they, they had stripped everything away. All the rights were gone. The DVD rights, which ended up becoming a big deal. The uh, video game rights, which ended up becoming a big deal. You name it, all that stuff was gone. So we had to go to Lionsgate and try to negotiate with them to buy the rights back. And if you're, you're Lionsgate and you think we have a shot at turning this thing into something big, why would you sell it? So what that tells you is Lionsgate thought we, we weren't going to do jack shit with this thing. <laughs> what was the plan? Like, what was the strategy? Like, we're going to buy this thing and, and, and what did you set out to do? What, was the, what were the goals? So here's what happened is once we got involved in a sport, we fell in love with it. And we realized that these guys were really incredible athletes. The stigma that was attached to this thing was the furthest thing from the truth. These guys were actually smart. Most of these guys graduated from college. You know, they have families. They're normal guys. They're not who you think they are. And they're incredible athletes who have to train in all these different martial arts and do their strength and conditioning training too. So our goal was to buy this thing, run toward regulation, get it regulated by all the major athletic commissions, get this thing not only back on pay-per-view, but we wanted to get it on television. There you go. And why was that so important to you? Because we felt that if it got on television, people would be able to see how incredible this sport really is presented in a different way. And at the end of the day, this, this many people want to watch a freak show. This many people want to watch a real sport with real athletes. So if we could get it on TV, that's the way to reach the masses. So let's talk about getting UFC on TV. Where were you thinking about going? Who were you talking to? What was the dream? And what were you thinking? So we were pitching this thing to everybody. And the, and the thing that we learned really quickly was that all the networks were terrified to throw this thing on TV live. <laughs> because of the violent nature of it? Is that what the issue was? Just everything. You know, if, if you look at the violence, think about this. The, the truth of the matter is, in the history of the UFC, which is going on like 26 years now, there's never been a death or serious injury. Think about that. Cheerleading can't say that. You know what I mean? Right. But this sport has never had it. At the time, reality shows were just starting to take off. And give us a time frame. This is like 2000, 2004, five, six. Right. Okay. So reality shows are taking off and there was a brand new television network called Spike, which was, was being labeled as the network for men. I mean, what's a more perfect fit than us for that? Right. So we come up with this concept for a reality show, which we used as sort of our Trojan horse. You put this thing into a reality show package. And you're watching mixed martial arts without realizing because there's a fight at the end of every show. And they're taped. They're not live. So the network doesn't have to be as terrified of the product because we already know what the outcome is going to be and that nobody gets hurt. So we start pitching this thing to Spike TV and uh, they don't love it. So we go back to Spike TV and we tell them we'll pay for it because the show is going to cost $10 million to produce. They like that idea a lot better. So this is a true story. We get the thing on Spike TV. It starts to air, and the thing is a rocket ship. It's taken off. It's the hottest show on Spike TV other than the WWE, which is already established and pulls big numbers. Yeah, that, just right. The WWE was about to leave Spike, right? 
That's right. And I think you came on to Spike about six months before they left, got launched behind it. So you crossed over for a minute there. 100%. Okay, so we get on. Everything's going great on Spike TV. Then the president of the network gets fired halfway through the season. Okay? And Spike TV goes radio silent on us. Radio silent. We're halfway through the season. We don't know what's going on. I'm flying to New York, and they won't even meet with me. I'm sitting in the lobby for hours, and these guys will not meet with me. I did this a couple times. So then finally, I'm there. I'm waiting again in the office to try to meet with somebody. I want to meet with Kevin Kay. Kevin Kay was president of Spike TV. He wasn't. Or, no, he wasn't yet. yet. Right. He was head no. of programming then. That's right. Yeah, right. That's right. All signs pointed to Kevin Kay was probably going to be the guy to take this thing over. So I'm trying to meet with Kevin Kay. He won't meet with me. So one day I'm sitting there and I'm like, you know what? I walk up to the secretary and I said, listen, and I'm with my guy. The guy's name is Jim Byrne, who was my PR guy at the time. I said, listen, this, this was just a courtesy meeting. I, I just want to let them know that I have a meeting with Doug Herzog. And I just want to let these guys know before I meet with Doug. So I walk out and Jim's like, you have a meeting with Doug Herzog? I go, no, I don't. But uh, <laughs> I want to fucking call Ari and make Ari get me a meeting with Doug Herzog. He goes, holy shit, I bet you don't make it to the elevator. <laughs> we didn't make it to the elevator. And Kevin Kay comes running down the hallway and says, hey, what's going on? Hey, come into my office for a minute. We sit down and he says, so you have a meeting with Doug Herzog? I go, no, but I'm, I'm setting up a meeting with Doug Herzog, I said to him. So that got me through the door. And after that, he said, here's what we'll do. I'll get you the meeting with Doug Herzog. You can go meet with Doug and da 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 I met, went and met with Doug. Doug ends up being one of the greatest television executives that I've ever met with, worked with, or known. So the rest is history. The rest of the season kills it. The finale kills it. We literally end up walking out into the alley after the fight with Spike TV and doing the deal on a napkin in the alley. True story. Hey, Pantheon listeners, Christian Swain here. You caught me just finishing up some editing on Getting Real with John and Beth. I want to share my first experience with Factor Meals for you. I think you'll find this interesting because I bet the same thing happens to you. I had just received my first shipment from Factor Meals the other day, and I was excited to try one of the prepared restaurant-quality meals for myself. Anyway, I was working away and noticed it was very late, and it was my night to make dinner. I jumped up and headed to the kitchen, went to grab the ingredients for the dish I was going to make, and realized I was missing a prime ingredient. Well, I could make a run to the store, or I could make one of my new factor meals. <laughs> Actually, the choice was easy. I grabbed a cavatappi, an Italian-style pork ragu with garlic broccoli, heated the oven per instructions, and minutes later was enjoying a very delicious, nutritious, and dietitian approved meal. It really was everything Factor Meals said it would be. No prep, no mess meals. Factor Meals are 100% ready to heat and eat. Take it from me and head to factormeals.com slash pantheon50 and use the code pantheon50 to get 50% off. That's factormeals.com slash pantheon50 and use the code pantheon50 to get 50% off. Hey, Pantheon listeners, Christian Swain again with something every podcast listener and music junkie needs to hear. As I'm sure you can guess, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I also listen to a lot of music, so having high-quality headphones and earbuds are absolutely critical to my day. 
Oh, and I have numerous pairs. In fact, I have a junk drawer of used devices that have bitten the dust, so I've tried them all. Recently, I was sent a pair of earbuds by Raycon, and the first thing I noticed was the cost. Uh, looks like their products are about half the price of other premium brands. Okay, that's cool. And the reviews seem pretty stellar. Okay, checks that box. So I got my Raycon Everyday Earbuds. A uh, nice packaging to open, and what I immediately noticed were the pack of ear tips for sizing. Uh, I'll tell you, I have small ear canals. Uh, I know, a flaw. So to see choices for the best fit, uh, especially while exercising, <laughs> oh yeah. And yes, they were immediately comfortable. Sound quality was great too. Plus I have three EQ options that I love because I like more bass in my music and less in the podcasts. Eight hours of playtime for the battery is great as well. Surround sound, noise canceling, and awareness mode all included. I think I'm in business, and I just realized I've had them in all day. Like I said, super comfortable. Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. For the purposes of our listeners, Doug, can you put into context, what was your title at this point? What were you doing? I was the king. He was the king. (laughs) I was uh, the king of all media. He was the king. I had been running Comedy Central and then they decided to make a change at Spike. And so they gave that to me as well as TV Land to run. And I remember sort of coming into the middle of this. And to be honest, there were a lot of people on the Spike staff who were big believers in UFC and Dana and what they were doing and really saw how this could work. After the first season. Well, yeah, I certainly had to be convinced a little bit. I remember a crazy meeting with your producer, Craig. Collegian. Uh, yeah. Collegian. Uh, <laughs> we almost had our pin round fight ourselves. <laughs> yeah. And I appreciate what Dana said, but I certainly was one of those executives who was a little bit scared shitless of what we were getting into. But truly between Dana and Craig and people like Kevin Kay and some of the guys who worked for him who were really very much believers in what the UFC could do and could do for Spike. By the way, at that point, as Dana knows, Spike TV had nothing to lose. I mean, we were kind of where the UFC was, right? We were down on the mat. We were trying to get people to notice us and establish ourselves and Spike. And I think the UFC was an amazing combination. And let me give Kevin Kay the credit that once Kevin Kay was officially the president, we got through that first season and, and all the bullshit that went on during that first season. Kevin Kay was incredible. I could literally pick up the phone and go, I'm going to do a fight this weekend. We want to throw, we want to do this. We want to do that. And he'd move mountains and make it happen. So you said, Dana, that you put up the money to pay for the production costs in the first season. After the first season, did you continue doing that or were you able to be like, okay, we proved ourselves, now you all pay for this? So at that time, my partners are the Fertitta brothers, right? And they own Station Casinos here in Las Vegas. We're in this thing about 40 million bucks, right? This was the last $10 million investment that the brothers were going to make. 
if the ultimate fighter didn't work that season, that was the end of it. That's why that first season I lived there. I lived on set. I was there all the time, very involved in this. That's why when the spike firing happened of the president, I kept flying back there. I mean, this was it. This was the, if this didn't work, it was the end of it. So no, after we went into the alley and cut that new deal, we had an awesome television deal and uh, we were on our way. Okay. So I had mentioned that when you premiered on Spike TV, you were launched behind Raw, which was a great lead in, even though I know you could speak forever on this. And that was Kevin Kay that did that. Yeah, yeah. And I know you will be able to talk forever on the differences between the WWE and the UFC. But I want to ask you, the WWE, Vince McMahon, has used cable TV almost from the beginning of cable right. to enormous success. Was that something that was in the back of your minds at the UFC or something you were watching or have any impact at all? Well, absolutely, if you look at what the WWE had done, too. But me being a big boxing fan, what I remembered most was ABC's Wild World of Sports on Saturdays when the big fights would be on and everybody would watch it. And you would build stars, pay-per-view stars, off of that. And the other one was USA's Tuesday Night Fights. I never missed an episode of USA's Tuesday Night Fights. I was on my couch every Tuesday, and they had all the up-and-coming pay-per-view stars of the 90s on Tuesday night fights. So that was more our model than WWE. Got it. You know, a lot of the times I think Spike TV couldn't have existed without the UFC. And I think the UFC couldn't be what it is today without Spike TV. Fact. Feel that way as well? It's a fact. It's an absolute fact. It's everything that you said at the time we needed them so bad and they needed us. We were like the perfect fit at that time. So as you said, you, you went to Spike TV and obviously, Doug, you thought this was a good idea too, because this obviously had appealed to men, but you did bring in women MMA fighters into the mix. And I'm just wondering what was, what was involved in that decision-making process? So one of the things that you have to remember at the time when I, there was, there's a, there's a very famous clip of me on TMZ. I'm getting out of a restaurant in LA and they're asking me, when are women going to fight in the UFC? And I look at the camera and I say, never. At this time, I'm trying to get people to accept men fighting in a cage, right? <laughs> I went to a fight up in Northern California once where there was a horrible mismatch between women. And I was like, oh, my God. And listen, I'm not going to lie. There's a little bit of that being a man, a little chauvinistic in that women are pretty and women are, yeah, you don't want to see women get beat up. You don't want to see in a million years. I never saw this coming where these women would be so technical and so tough and so badass. I mean, the women that we have now in the UFC, uh, th there's a lot of things I saw coming. I didn't see that one coming. That's for damn sure. But the thing that changed everything was I met Ronda Rousey. Mm -hmm. Ronda Rousey manifested all of these things that have happened. And I had a meeting with her one day and halfway through the meeting, I'm like, holy shit, I think I'm going to do this. And I think she's the one to do it with. And thank God I was right. Was there any pushback from anybody executive wise when you tried to bring women onto the show? No, but I think that you hear these things about, and this is coming from a man's point of view, you know, women aren't treated the same as men. Women aren't this and that, all this other stuff. And I was always like, you know, maybe there's some of this and some of that until I headlined Ronda Rousey above Dan Henderson and Lyoto Machida. And people lost their fucking minds. I was getting these messages from people like, you piece of shit, you know, you, that's da, 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 da. I was like, oh my God, I, I never realized this existed because it's never happened to me. You know what I mean? 
So once I headlined Ronda Rousey, I was like, wow, man, I I never realized there'd be this kind of of blowback from, you know, these lunatics out there. Then that night we were in Anaheim when she walked out of that tunnel and that arena. I knew I made the right decision. Sold out. Two women fighting in a main event. Sold out. If you look at women's boxing, before I did my first women's fight, you looked at women's boxing and it was more sort of a sideshow type thing. Right. More of a novelty. Exactly. It it was never. When Ronda Rousey walked out of that tunnel that night, the entire arena erupted. I get goosebumps even telling you the friggin' story. (laughs) The entire arena erupted and the fight was incredible. And she was on her way to not only being the biggest superstar in the sport, but the highest paid. Mm -hmm. Wow. Pretty badass. Right. Well, let me just say that women are not exaggerating when we say that things are shitty for us. Like, they really are. (laughs) (laughs) I I have learned my lesson. Believe me, I have learned my lesson. We live and learn. And I have learned. It's true. How much of your demographic is made up of women in terms of audience and viewers and live event attendance? So, So if you think about the Spike days when we were on Spike TV and we exploded and everything started to grow and you have Chuck versus Tito and fights like that, It was male dominated. It was all male. You know what I mean? That's why we fit so perfect on the men's network. We were the 18 to 34 year old sport for men. Then when Ronda Rousey emerged and the whole women's thing started, then you got Rose Namajunas, Joanna Yonjashek, Whaley Zhang, and all these other badass women. Here we go. I mean, now when you look out in the crowd, we just did the thing for whatever. What was our female fan base in the high 30s? Wow percentage you know what i mean mm-hmm. that's huge for a fight sport huge that is yeah. really huge actually and in terms of ages has that broadened as well do you see older and younger people outside of that 18 to 34 yeah so we're such a young sport still mm-hmm. the entire history of the sport we're 26 years old you know for me my era is 20 years so any women that got into it at that point in time are now in their 50s right and now you have all the younger women that are getting into it too. So we we have a huge range, anywhere from below 18 to in their 50s. Great. The basic cable home of the USC is now ESPN. You had started on Spike, went to Fox, now at ESPN. Yep. And although the sport has now been, I would say, mainstreamed for many years, was it important for UFC to finally make it onto ESPN? Yeah, and you know what, Doug? We have like the perfect evolution. Spike is where we had to start. We needed to be there. It was the perfect time for us and for Spike. Fox was the perfect next move. Eric Shanks, who's the president of Fox Sports, who I've had a relationship with since his DirecTV days, couldn't have been better, couldn't have been a better partner for us at that time. And then it was finally time for us to arrive on ESPN. So what was it like trying to get on ESPN? I mean, was it a fight? What was it like? Were they open to it from the beginning? There was a guy at ESPN named John Skipper. And John Skipper was there for years. Skipper was a nice guy. Went and met with him all the time. He fucking hated the UFC. (laughs) Hated the UFC. Huge soccer guy. I mean, you could credit him for making soccer more popular in the United States. So it doesn't matter what we would have done, how big we became, no matter how whatever. For some reason, this guy hated the UFC. And I don't know if you know the John Skipper story, but John Skipper ends up leaving ESPN abruptly. Mm -hmm. And it's like when I was talking to you about the timing of Spike, 
and you had Kevin K that came in. You had Doug Herzog there running both companies. Then we move over to Fox. Eric Shanks is there. I had a great relationship with him throughout his DirecTV days. This guy gets ousted from ESPN right when our deal is up at Fox. And they put Jimmy Pataro in there, who used to run Yahoo, who I have a great relationship with. What? I mean, are you <laughs> shitting me right now? Just the timing. Everything in life is about timing. You know, when you look at the timing of the things that happen with the UFC, it's almost magical. I don't mean, I don't know how else to explain it. It's crazy. Look at the Irish, Dana. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> So now the UFC is on ESPN, and you're standing shoulder to shoulder with the NFL, the NBA, Major League Baseball, soccer, college football, everything, right? This is where it all is. So how do you see the UFC versus these much older and more established franchises and leagues? Yeah, I mean, if you look at what we've built and you look at what we sold for, yeah, we are absolutely toe-to-toe with all of those leagues, and we're more global than they are. The only one we're not more global than is soccer. You know what I mean? So yes. And when you think about it, as we continue to grow, we're going to start to have those generational things now where these kids remember growing up with UFC on TV. Like I remember growing up watching Ali, you know? Right. You're really now into a second or maybe even third generation of UFC fans, right? Right. The young people that are watching UFC today probably don't remember that it was on Spike. That's exactly right. And more importantly, when we first bought this, I was going out talking to sports editors at the time, trying to get them to cover this thing. These guys were 60 years old. They didn't give a shit about this and they were never going to cover this thing. All these kids everywhere in all these different forms of media grew up watching the UFC. And that will continue generation after generation. You know, it's something crazy too. When we're talking about the timing and how all this stuff happened, I'm a very loyal person. And because of what Spike TV did for us, I was very loyal to Spike TV. I love Spike. I was a Spike guy. Yes, you were. (laughs) Right? Honestly, Dana, you and the UFC were as good a partner as I have ever had in my entire career in television. Thank you. I appreciate that. I was very, very loyal to Spike TV. So Doug knows this, but you two don't know the story. So at the time, Doug's boss was a guy named Philippe Dumont. Okay? And Philippe Dumont thinks he's some big French guy from whatever. His name's Phil Dumont. He's from fucking Jersey, okay? <laughs> so his attitude, we had guys like Doug and Kevin Kay, and we're just talking about what good partners we were, how we felt about each other, and all this stuff at that time, because we're all building this incredible thing together. Well, I want to be with Spike TV, so we're trying to negotiate a new deal. Well, Phil Dumont, uh, Phil Dumont from Jersey, his attitude is, fuck you, we built this, and this is what you're going to do. And if you don't like it, then we'll go build another one. That was his attitude. That's exactly right. That's exactly what it was, yeah. So because the way that this guy handled this is the only reason we end up leaving Spike TV and going to Fox, which, again, becomes the right evolution for us to get to ESPN. But I'm the type of guy, I probably would have stayed at Spike forever if the guy would have treated us right. But he didn't. You know, he did not. It was a complete disaster. We went to a lunch with this pompous asshole one time, right? The entire fucking lunch was talking about his boat in the south of France, okay? And Doug, 
I don't know how many of those fucking stupid meetings you probably had to sit through with that asshole. I had to do one and that was enough for me. I guess we're never having that guy on the podcast. Well, well let me tell you, you should have that guy on the podcast because he's fascinating. He's a fucking brand killer is yeah, what yeah. that guy is. That guy took some of the most powerful, incredible brands that were ever built in television history and he fucking destroyed them. Destroyed them. That's not untrue. He's one of those Wall Street type guys that goes in and sucks all the money out of something for himself. And he's literally a brand killer, in my opinion. That is not incorrect. (laughs) I want to go back to something that Doug was asking earlier about, you know, how you see yourself in line with the NFL and other major sports brands. I mean, do you still feel like you're convincing people that MMA is a sport or are people pretty much on board with that at this point? Yeah, no, everybody's on board now. The key the success of this business now i have one of these sports that think about this and i don't know how into sports you are or aren't but the nfl there's nothing bigger in this country than the nfl and if you watch it on tv it's the best sport in the world to watch on tv it's so fun it's fast it's exciting especially if you're invested in one of the teams and you care if they win or not but when you go to a football game live and the live experience you got this drunk idiot behind you spilling beer on you the sun is half on your section and half on the other side you know what i mean and and the field is hard to see so basketball on tv you can watch the last seven minutes of the game and you're good right but when you go to a game live especially if you're in the right seats it's awesome to see the, the nba live now the ufc is incredible on television you can watch it at home with your friends or in a bar and it's great on tv it's even better live. When you come to a live event, you cannot match the energy and the excitement inside that building when great fights happen. So my key is to travel this thing all over the world to every small city, every big city, everywhere ever, and get people inside the building because nobody ever comes to a live UFC event and says, yeah, I don't ever want to see one of these again. Once I get you in the building, you're done. You're hooked. It's over. They're yours. Mine. <laughs> Hey, Dana, you used to have a great sales pitch back in the old days about standing in the middle of the street in four corners, right? right. Would you tell Jada how you used to sell it? Yeah, so take four corners anywhere in the world, right? On one corner, they're playing basketball. Stick ball on the other corner. Playing soccer on the other corner. A fight breaks out on the fourth corner. Where does everybody go? Everybody runs over to watch the fight. Even the people playing other sports will stop playing to go watch the fight. I don't care what color you are, what country you come from, what language you speak. We're all human beings and fighting's in our DNA. We get it and we like it. There you go. Tell me who the greatest cricket player to ever live is. I couldn't name a single cricket player if you put a gun to my head. Exactly, because we don't give a shit who the greatest cricket player ever is. We didn't grow up playing it. We don't understand the rules. We don't know anything about cricket. But in other parts of the world, they do. It's like asking cricket fans, who's the greatest NFL player? They could care less. You ask people who the greatest fighter to ever live is, they'll say Ali or Mike Tyson or the most famous athletes to ever walk the face of the earth have always been fighters. Think about this. I'm going to do a test with you. Go grab some kids, right? Young kids around and ask them who Bruce Lee is. They know who Bruce Lee is. He fucking died in 1971. And kids know who he is because as human beings, we are fascinated by who the toughest people in the world are. Mm-hmm. Well, what do you think's next for not only the UFC, but sports in general? Right now, if you want to watch sports on TV, you go to the networks where there's still a bunch and cable where there's a lot. And now you have these streamers coming in who are beginning to sort of eat 
the lunch of both basic and broadcast. Is that where sports is going down the line? And is that where the UFC ends up one day? I'll give you my take on it. And I'd love to hear yours. So this is what I truly believe. When you and I grew up, Doug, we had channel three, channel five, channel eight, and channel 13, right? Then came cable. We had what? 30 channels, MTV and some of the other stuff. Even more. And then satellite and yada, yada. Now there's a million channels. Income streaming. Say in the next five to eight years, I think there's going to be a, you know, an ABC, a CBS, an NBC, a Fox globally. Right. Who's it going to be? Is it going to be Netflix? Is it going to be YouTube? Is it going to be Amazon? Is it going to be Disney? Who's going to be the four or five big global powerhouses over the next eight years? And I believe that streaming is going to be a reality. That's what we're going to do. We're going to pick our best streaming channels that we want. And we're going to pay for them. And that's how we'll watch our stuff. Technology has been my friend at the UFC. You know, when we first started, I had to try to get a television deal, right? So I get a deal with Spike. Then I get a deal on pay-per-view. So I got Dish Network, DirecTV, and in-demand pay-per-view. Now, if I want to be in all these other countries and truly be a global sport, I got to go cut a hundred different TV deals around the world. In the next five to eight years, I'll be on one channel. And the whole world can watch my fights at the same time on the same channel. Now, when you talk about the ceiling in my business, right? And I just told you how this thing works all over the world. What are there? Seven and a half to eight billion people in the world? All I got to do is go get them. You know, there will be a day when I do a pay-per-view in the next 10 years that I could have six million people watching that fight at the same time. Sounds like that's an exciting prospect for you. I love it. It fires me <laughs> up, if you can't tell. Yeah. I don't know if this falls under your purview or not, but I'm curious, as you're talking about building the brand of UFC, I was watching an episode of the new season of Hacks recently, and there's an entire sequence in that show that takes place at a UFC fight. I'm just wondering how much you think about things like that, like having UFC show up in these other places where people who don't necessarily seek out UFC might have it presented to them and go, oh, I never really thought about watching that. Yeah, no, it's huge. I love that that's starting to happen. You know, we've become such a big part of pop culture now that we're showing up on all these different shows and movies. And, you know, if there's a scene inside a movie where they'd be at a fight, it's always a UFC fight now instead of boxing. So, right. you know, that's huge for us. And, and something, I don't know if you guys are aware of this, but on my social media, I do this thing every week called Fuck It Friday. And basically <laughs> I eat the craziest food, something that looks like it'll give you a heart attack in two seconds. And I tell people whether I like it or not. It's fast. It's easy to watch. It is the biggest thing that I do on social media. This thing does anywhere from three to five million viewers just on my social media every Friday. So off of that, I just got a television show now on the Food Network. I start filming this year. Oh, wow. They're giving me four episodes to start and then we'll see, we'll see where it goes from there. But wow, when you talk about something like this, I'm, I'm not shitting you to this is the truth. When I go out, more people come up and talk to me about fuck it Friday now than the UFC. It's insane. What's the yeah. show going to be called? Fuck it Food Network? It's called fuck it Friday. Yeah. <laughs> is it really? <laughs> yeah, they're keeping the name on the Food Network. Wow. Yeah. Are you going to cook or just eat? I, I don't cook. I just eat. Just I'm very eat. good at eating. <laughs> <laughs> Well, this has been such an interesting conversation. We have a question that we usually close on with our guests and we want to pose to you, which is what is your all-time favorite basic cable show? 
aside from things that you yourself have worked on? Um, I, I don't watch a lot of TV anymore. It could be, an old it can one. be from whenever. Yeah, whenever. Yeah. It would, yeah. So it, it would be the Sopranos and the Sons of Anarchy are probably my two favorite shows of all time on cable. Mm-hmm. There you go. Okay. So Sons of Anarchy is, is a basic show. So that's the answer we're looking for. We all love the Sopranos, but you know, that's premium HBO. Got to pay extra for that, Dana. Sons of Anarchy <laughs> wins then. There we go. Sons of Anarchy is a great choice. <laughs> well, Dana, we really appreciate you coming on. You are a incredible sports visionary, showman, promoter, and you have built an incredible franchise with the UFC that is now global in a multi-billion dollar business. And as I said previously in this podcast, you are one of the very best, if not the best partner I've ever had in the TV business. You know, I would go into the foxhole with, with Dana White and it was great. You have continued to take UFC to never ending higher heights. So uh, congratulations to you. And we appreciate it. Thank you, you, my friend. And let me say this to you. Like I told you earlier, you're one of the all time greats in the television business. You're one of the all time best that I've ever worked with. And none of this would be happening right now. If it wasn't for you, you had the balls, you saw what other people didn't see at the time and you took a chance on us. I love you for the rest of my life and would do anything for you. Much respect, my friend. Thanks, Dan. Thanks for coming. Thanks, Dan. Right. That was Dana White bringing the energy. So, Jen, I, I know you're not a fight fan and not no, a mixed martial not. arts fan. So nope. <laughs> what were your impressions of Dana White now that you've had a little time with him? I mean, he's certainly a big personality, and I appreciate the kind of tenacity that he had trying to get get this on the air. I mean, to to say, like, I'm just going to pay for producing this entire series just to get it on the air. Like, that's a, a level of commitment that you kind of have to admire. You do. And I did, you know, from where I sat, and I mentioned this several times in the interview about what a great partner was. He would really do anything it took at any time to not only keep the UFC growing, but he would do favors for us at Spike TV. So, for instance... If we were having a particularly tough quarter and the ratings were kind of, for whatever reason, soft, we could call Dana and say, hey, could you give us a live fight in two or three weeks? And you know what? He would always say yes and deliver a live fight for us on a moment's notice. And we would get the ratings we needed and kept us happy. And he certainly was happy to keep us happy. And he was a great partner. Well, I mean, obviously that's really important, especially from your end as an executive, you have your relationships and and what you're able to build upon. I'm sure that has carried him very far in making UFC a a much bigger thing than it was when it first started. Yeah, and it's all Dana. I mean, he has, as you see, he's all about it all the time. He's in it a thousand percent. He lives it. He breathes it. He never stops thinking about it. He still has as much fire and energy as he did you know, when I first met him and when I first met him, he was not a billionaire. <laughs> and I'm mm-hmm. guessing if he's not, he's pretty close. And, you know, it's just amazing to me the passion that he continues to have for this sport. And for him, there's no end in sight. So, yeah, it's interesting to me. We talked about this a little bit. This was something that was clearly seen as this is just for men. And then obviously he talked in detail about Ronda Rousey. And then just the idea that now you're at 30 percent, let's say, I think that was the figure he gave us in terms of how many women are watching or coming to fights. I have to think that number will go up just because, you know, I know a lot of people my age and younger who they don't find anything strange or like MMA to them as a sport. Like it wouldn't even occur to them to think of it as not being a sport, you know? Yeah. So I think it's maybe normalizing isn't the right word, but I just think it's become. Well, it's, it's become mainstreamed. It was seen as something yeah. on the outside. Even my sons who I remember when we had it on Spike and they were a little younger, they saw it as something on the outside and now they're 20 somethings. and they are kind of into it in a way that I could have never imagined. And they think of it 
the way they think of boxing or probably not on the same level necessarily as the NFL or the NBA, but it's more important to them than hockey and baseball. I can tell you that. So uh, hmm, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing I think, you know, I think is fascinating and I'm sure you agree. And the reason we do this podcast was, you know, that marriage of spike and UFC and basic cable and mixed martial arts, basic cable turned out to be a tremendous platform. And I think Dana said it. I, I, I don't know that there is a UFC unless they get onto basic cable and ultimately spike TV at some point. Right. And, and at that time, that would have been the only way to do it, to get any kind of like mainstream, because obviously, you know, the regular networks were not going to pick that up. Basic cable was your route in. That was it. Yeah. And like I said, we had to be convinced and have our arms twisted a little bit. And I don't think any of our competitors were going to do it. And I, I think it might have been Spike or Bust for him back in those days. So good for him and good for Spike at the time that, it, you know, he made it all happen. I mean, how nervous were you really, though, about putting this on the air? I can tell you, I was really, really nervous. And that's why I wanted, I talked a lot about the Spike staff, because there were people on the staff who were a lot more passionate and kind of pushing me towards it and knowing that it would work. And it was just a question of, was I willing, was Spike willing to take whatever risks might come along? By the way, I can tell you the same thing about South Park. I was really nervous about putting South Park on Comedy Central when we did it. There was nothing else like it. It seemed dangerous. I remember thinking, is this illegal? And the very first (laughs) fight I went to, I went to Vegas for a fight we televised. And to make a long story short, big giant Eastern European guy who looks like Lurch, who I thought, he looks like he can't fight. He's fighting like a much smaller fit guy. And the big guy just lifts his leg, swings his leg around from the mat to the guy's temple and hits him so fast in the temple with his heel. Guy goes down unconscious, has to be carried out in a stretcher. I'm thinking, oh my God, it's my first fight and somebody's going to die. Then of course, I see Mm. that guy walking around the casino later with just, you know, hold a nice bag to his head. And it's just another day at the office. So, you know, (laughs) it was something that it took me a a while to kind of wrap my head around it and get comfortable with it. I would not say I am their biggest fan, but I really admire what Dana built. Well, and, you know, as I'm sure you learned, you can't go wrong in America with violence. People love it. Well, he said, I mean, I always remember, I remember him telling me that story about the street corner thing. He would say, oh, you know, you got Tom Brady on one street corner throwing touchdowns. You got Michael Jordan on another street corner, you know, hitting three pointers. Derek Jeter on another street corner, belting home runs. And then there's just two guys you never heard of fighting on a fourth street corner. And that's where everybody goes. And I was like, you know, he's probably not wrong. So. I don't know. I'd still be watching Michael Jordan. That's me. That's me. That's why I don't watch MMA and I watch basketball. Well, there you go. Thanks for joining us. And uh, uh, we will see you next time on Basic. Basic is a Pantheon media production in partnership with Sirius XM. Hosted by Jen Chaney. And Doug Herzog. Produced by Christian Swain and Peter Ferrioli. Lindley Ehrlich is our assistant producer. Mixed, mastered, and music by Jerry Danielson. Edited by Zach Spisner. You can find Basic on Apple Podcasts, the SiriusXM app, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you like to listen. If you like the show, please rate, review, and share so other people can find us. Don't Don't forget forget to follow follow the show so you never miss an episode. episode.